Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast, where we explore the triumphs and challenges of trauma recovery and being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world. In today's episode, we're talking about victim mentality. I am Autumn, the older sister, and for my fact of the day, I just want to admit that I have a victim mentality in some areas of my life. In fact, I took the victimhood test and my total victimhood score, 64%. I am apparently 12.4% more likely to see myself as a victim than the average person. I am Ivy, the younger sister, and I also took this test in preparation for the episode and was surprised to find that my total victimhood score was actually lower than I expected it to be. But my my total score is like 41%, which is 10.6% less likely to see myself as a victim than the average person. I assume I have to partially credit that to all of the fucking work that I have done over the last almost 20 20 years to heal. So that's kudos to me, I guess. I'm super stoked about that. All that work and and you've only gotten that small percentage down. Like, aren't aren't you after all of this healing work supposed to be 0% victim, Ivy? Isn't that how it works? We just go 100% survivor and we're never victims again? Because I thought (laughs) thought that's what social media and mental health tells us, isn't it? That does seem to be a a pop psychology sort of thing, or it's just, I, I don't know if that's part of hustle culture or whatever it is, but I think it's kind of silly to assume that anybody is 100% free of victim mentality because I think all, I think everybody or at least almost everybody but I would go out on a limb and bet everybody has some level of victim mentality because it pops up in ways that you might not expect. I think it can pop up in insidious ways that you don't always recognize and it seem kind of silly but it fits into this category. Like I think about how often we get mad at people in traffic or in checkout lines. Like you get stuck in traffic behind somebody who's just driving really, really slow and they're holding you up and making life inconvenient for you because this stupid person is driving so slow and they're making your life inconvenient because we all know the world revolves around me. Is that a little bit exaggerated? Yes, but I think there are very few people that could possibly tell me that there hasn't been one point in their life when they have just been agitated at somebody else and taken it as a personal insult that that person is doing something that mildly inconveniences them. I I would say that's accurate because I feel victim mentality, like most things in mental health, it's really a it's a spectrum and it shifts from day to day and it shifts from experience to experience and situation to situation and talking about you know the world revolves around me ha 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 i kind of find that funny because tell you a little bit about this test it basically looks at uh, a few different areas one is the need of recognition that you have that somebody's done you wrong a moral elitism the tendency to be self-preoccupied the likeliness of ruminating on offenses and then your overall likelihood that you see yourself as a victim. And I laugh about the world revolving around me because one of my highest scores is self-preoccupation. That's a 70% total for me. And I'm about 25% more likely to be self-preoccupied than the average person. So I find that amusing. You know, I was also amused by the self-preoccupation score because I expected that to be much higher on mine because as a rule, I consider myself to be a pretty self 
preoccupied person. I'm very insular and I tend to live in my own head a lot. So I expected that to be a lot higher, but my score on that was 25%, which was actually 20.23% less prone to self-preoccupation than the average person. And now I'm really curious about the average person and what their inner monologue is like. So what were you high on them? Which one of your categories peaked you out at the highest? Uh, my highest one was rumination, when, and that was like a, a 60%, which is 4.39% more likely to ruminate on offenses than the average person, which that... I'll, I'll throw myself down on that one. I know I do that quite a bit. Like all of the stuff that happened with my father, I hold, I'm still trying to get past ruminating on that. And sometimes there's been, a, I brought up the traffic example earlier because I am horrible in traffic. I feel greatly inconvenienced by everybody else. I feel like the entire road should belong to me, or at least that's what it seems like when I'm actually in my car. And there have been a few people over the years that like something they did in traffic made me so angry about it that sometimes it just randomly, I'll be taking a shower or something. And I think of that one thing that that person did that made me so mad like 10 years ago, and I can't let go of it. <laughs> so I'm honestly surprised my rumination wasn't even higher than it actually is, <laughs> even though it was on the higher side than the average person. I can apparently relate because my rumination equaled my self-preoccupation. So yeah, apparently <laughs> both ruminators. You know, one of the other things that I found funny when you and I were exchanging our scores before we started recording is that both of us had tended to have a higher score on moral elitism, which when I first took the test and I saw that score, like I got a little bit of a fit of the giggles because I, I did see that coming because I do have a tendency to, to be that way. Very like soapboxy and idealistic in my own way. And I have to really check myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My moral elitism, it, it was up there. Yeah. So I, I relate to that. If, if you all are interested in taking this test at all, we're actually going to put a link to it on our resources page. And it's fun. I mean, it's not a diagnostic tool because after all, I mean, victimhood mentality is not a diagnosis, but it's fun to take and it's interesting to see. And it kind of opens your eyes up to the idea of what victimhood really is and how the psychological world really sees that. And we actually encourage anybody out there to go ahead and take that test. It's just a simple link. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't even have to give them your email. So it's super simple to take, but go on a resources page, take that test, see what victim mentality is all about and see where you rank on there. And if you feel comfortable doing so, reach out to us and let us know what your scores were. What were you happily and negatively surprised about in taking that test? So now let's jump into the meat and potatoes of our episode and really start talking about that idea of victim mentality. And let's start with just briefly touching on what victim mentality is. If you've been working on your own mental health or you've been going to therapy or even just been on any sort of social media that has anything to do with mental health, you've probably heard of the idea of victimhood or victim mentality or being a victim. And it's usually painted in this extremely negative light because there's a lot of quote unquote negative characteristics that go with it. In my mind, I've always seen victim mentality almost like a state of infancy. You are an adult, you're capable of meeting your needs, but you feel like an infant. You feel like you can't meet your needs and you're expecting other people to meet them. All right. So what are some of the characteristics that kind of are un under this umbrella of victim mentality? Number one, we have blaming others or outside situations. Uh, then we have expecting other people to meet our needs for us. 
than honestly believing that we are incapable of meeting our own needs or doing whatever is needed or required of us. Being passive aggressive is another one of those indications. Expecting other people to be able to read our minds and being mad when they don't automatically know what it is that we want. And then even just being overly negative, blowing things out of proportion, thinking the world is out to get you or thinking that everything is horrible all the time and it will never get any better for us and other people have it so much better than we do. I kind of wish that the uh, victim mentality test had uh, ranked that particular one, the being overly negative, because I feel I might have gotten 100% on blowing things out of proportion and being overly negative. You know which one I wish it had ranked on? I wish that it had kind of explored more the honestly believing that you cannot, because I find myself getting stuck on that, even though I see myself as a very independent person. Like we're watching Calvin's parents' house and their dog while they're gone. And it was getting late last night and I was stressing out because I needed to get up early in the morning and we needed to take the dog out for one more walk and Calvin was doing something. He was busy. And I was stressing out so much about it because I'm like, he needs to hurry up. We need to take the dog out. I have to get up early in the morning. And then it finally dawned on me after a half hour of stressing that like, you know what I could do? I could just take the dog out by myself. I'm fully capable. I am a grown ass adult and it's a safe neighborhood. And I, I have weapons just in case I need to protect myself. I could just take the dog for a walk myself, but no, for a half hour. Instead, I stressed out about how long everything was taking Calvin to do. <laughs> I feel like that's a really good point, though, because I feel like a lot of us that have been victims at some point in our life, either of social trauma or personal trauma, that is a mentality that's very insidious. It creeps in without us realizing it. And especially if we're having a stressful time, it creeps back in more because I know Ivy is actually house sitting right now, which is a disruption of a routine, which she's talked about how upsetting that can be for her whole mental health system in previous episodes of the podcast. And so because she's at a higher stress point, it's easier for that victim mentalities to sneak back into her life without her even realizing it. Now, like we said, victim mentality, both Ivy and I feel, is just kind of part of the human experience. But when it starts to get out of proportion, and that's all we're really seeing ourselves as is victims, it can be damaging. All right. So I'm not going to say it's bad and it's horrible and it's negative, but I will say that it can be damaging to yourself and to relationships. And the biggest reason I would say it's damaging is because as an adult, you are required to meet your needs. So if you honestly believe you cannot meet those needs and you're not taking action to meet those needs or you don't have the skills necessary to meet them, that means a lot of your needs are going to go unmet. And so that's very, very damaging because if you have needs for interpersonal relationships, if you have needs to feed yourself or find housing, any of these things, it can range from the practical to the psychological, to the relational, to the emotional, even into the spiritual. When you have that victim mentality, it's going to severely impact your ability to function in life. And one of the other reasons why it's damaging is kind of what I was talking about before, that belief that you cannot. One of the, the horrible things about that is that if you believe for long enough that you cannot, you will create the reality that you cannot. This is something that has come up in my life more than once. It is much better than it used to be, although you wouldn't know that from my example of not 
thinking to take the dog out by myself. But there were there was actually a period of time in my life when I was married to my second husband where I wasn't working and it was the middle of winter in Canada and I was new to the area and I really had no means of getting out and about and I had a lot of social anxiety and all of those things. So I really just was stuck in the house. And over time, I lost all my confidence and my ability to do absolutely anything on my own. And I know that was one of the things that was really destructive to my marriage. And ultimately, one of the things that I believe led to the end of my marriage is because as I felt like I couldn't do anything on my own, and I was dependent on him for too many things, I also developed a lot of resentment towards him for this dependency that I had kind of put myself in that situation of. So it can become a really destructive feedback loop where you think that you can't do something and so you don't do it, you try to get somebody else to do it. And then the more things that you don't do, the less capable you feel like you are. And then everything becomes kind of scary and it feels hopeless. That is actually a really, really good point because one of the things that happens that goes hand in hand with victimhood and this victim mentality is that things feel outside of your control. If you have been a victim, one of the defining characteristics of that is your control is taken from you, at least in some aspect of your behavior or your life or your choices, you don't have control. And so even though you escape that situation, if that mentality is still with you, you still feel that lack of control in your life. And that leads to feelings of hopelessness. Like Ivy said, it leads to depression, leads to anxiety, it leads to feelings of lack of safety. In all honesty, this piece right here is the main reason that I really started working on my victim mentality because safety is such a core issue for me and I never ever felt safe and I felt also as though I could not keep myself safe or make myself safe in any environment or any relationship and that was terrifying for me and I got tired of living with the terror and so I said I've got to start addressing some of this. And victim mentality can also lead to a complete lack of closure. And I know closure is contentious word these days. Is, is it possible to have closure? Is it not possible to have closure? Where should it come from? But when you're stuck in that victim mentality, I mean, you'll never really get an answer to that question because you're always waiting for other people to acknowledge and to apologize for the ways in which you were victimized, for the abuse that they inflicted on you. And honestly, the sad truth is, there are some people in your life that will do messed up stuff to you and they don't care how it affects you. They're never going to acknowledge it. They're never going to apologize for it. And so if you're always waiting for that in order to feel like you can move beyond being a victim, you will stay perpetually stuck because unfortunately, a lot of that sense of closure or at least making peace with or accepting what happened to you, that's something that has to come from within. And so staying stuck in that state of victimhood really keeps you from being able to grow beyond being a victim. It stops you from being able to heal from the abuse because you're always waiting for that other person who harmed you, or sometimes you project that harm onto other people that had nothing to do with it, but you're always waiting for somebody else to come in and acknowledge it and close up that wound for you and apologize to you and make amends. And that doesn't always happen. In fact, in a lot of situations, it doesn't. And honestly, that's one of the, the parts of victim mentality that I have struggled with the most. It's definitely gotten better in recent years, but my anger 
towards my father and the pain and all of those things for a lot of years, I kept waiting for him to apologize. I kept waiting for him to admit what he had done and it never happened. And I finally had to get to a space where I just accepted that it wasn't going to happen. And if I was going to grow and heal beyond that, I had to do it myself. That in and of itself is very difficult, that idea of having to bring that closure about yourself, because a lot of times the individuals that have inflicted trauma on you or have abused you or neglected you are not going to recognize that trauma. They're not going to acknowledge it. And like Ivy said, when you stay in that victimhood, that means you're never going to get that closure because you're always waiting for the other person, which means you're always waiting for that abuser to give you the permission to start healing, to give you the permission to move forward. And I don't like that idea either. I, I want to be in control. Like I said, I want to be in control of my life. I want to feel capable. That closure piece also speaks directly to the relational piece where it can be damaging as well. That victim mentality leads to tumultuous and difficult relationships. If you actually have individuals around you that have healthy boundaries, they're often going to avoid you. They're going to actively avoid you if you have a victim mentality because these behaviors are passive aggressive. They're seen as manipulative. They're seen as damaging, not just to you, but to the other person as well. You can also have a tendency to repeat cycles of abuse because if you are in that victim mentality, your behaviors may be victim behaviors. And when you are behaving as a victim, you're going to be attracting people that will treat you as that victim. And so if you have that abuse in your past, keeping that victim mentality can unfortunately continue that cycle of abuse into future relationships because you're attracting those kind of people to you. One of the other ways that this can be damaging to you within the context of relationships is that while you're stuck in that state of victim mentality and you are being overly negative and you are really upset about those old wounds that nobody's acknowledging, nobody's apologizing for, nobody's trying to make amends, they're not trying to fix anything, that can ultimately lead to you becoming very resentful. Resentful of the state of your life, resentful of where you're at in life, resentful of other people for not doing more to help you or resenting them for not trying to fix things, resenting them for not understanding you better. And when you resent people, oftentimes we end up lashing out in some ways. And a lot of times that is passive aggressive, like Autumn talked about before. But regardless of how you tend to lash out, that does create a negative feedback loop where you're resentful of the people around you, you're lashing out at them. They don't want to be lashed out at because nobody enjoys that. So they withdraw from you more, which makes you feel more isolated and more like they don't understand and they don't care and like you're being abandoned, which makes you increasingly more resentful. And that pattern continues, which is very destructive to the relationship. But the person that, that really destroys the most is ultimately you because you are using resentment as a weapon to push people away. I would say that even happens on a smaller scale as well. You know, I've been in that situation, like Ivy talked about earlier, the waiting on your boyfriend so you can walk a dog because you forget that you're capable of doing that on your own. I have many times where I'm waiting on my boyfriend to do a task that I'm perfectly capable of doing myself, but that victim mentality comes in. And now I get pissed off at my boyfriend for not being there when I need him and for not understanding that this needs to be done now on my timetable because it's important to me. And he doesn't even need to be involved in it. And so even on a small scale, I start getting pissy and I start getting angry and I start making comments or being rude when it's just not necessary. I would say another way that this 
is damaging to relationships as well is transference, which Ivy spoke to a little bit earlier. That's the idea of taking out the issues you have with someone else on your current relational partner. And so this could be if I had issues with my mother and I decided to take them out on my sister Ivy, or it could be if I had issues with, let's say, my father and I was trying to take them out on my boyfriend in our current relationship. The reality is when you have this trauma, because a lot of victimhood comes from trauma, when it's unresolved, our minds are constantly pushing us to resolve it. Yeah, and I think that this is something that happens even on a small scale in a lot of people's relationships because Humans do have this tendency, our brains are wired to look for patterns. And so if we've experienced something before, especially if we've experienced it multiple times, we will expect to experience it again. I mean, this is something that's popped up for me, but I've seen this pop up in a lot of people's relationships with their romantic partners, where you had this bad experience in a past relationship with another partner, and you automatically assume that the same thing is going to apply with this partner. Sometimes with Calvin and I, we get stuck in this loop where I get upset with him when he, and I've talked about this before in other episodes, when he comes home late, because I've had bad experiences with previous partners and with my father where they were not accessible to me and I was not a priority to them. And I have to stop myself from getting angry at him and overreacting when he's a little bit late because I have to remember that he is not those people. And sometimes he gets mad at me when I call him when he's running late because he's had experiences with people who were really controlling, trying to basically not allow him to have a life outside of the relationship. And so he has to be careful to, to check himself and not assume that I'm trying to control his life. These are things that happen in, in relationships all the time. You don't even have to be somebody super deep in victim mentality to have some of these themes play out in your life. It's something that happens a lot with all people because we are wired to look for patterns and we just assume that patterns will repeat even when they're not repeating. And if those patterns are scary enough, we may actually end up pushing boundaries and acting out in such a way to make those patterns happen. Not because we want that pattern to happen, but because part of us believes it will. And it's terrifying to not know the exact details of what that pattern is gonna be. And yes, that's not rational, but let you know on a little secret, most of our emotional reactions aren't rational and logical. Yeah, and that kind of takes us into our next point about how this can be, how victim mentality can be damaging in a relationship. Is it's, it's actually a huge drain on resources. It's a huge drain on your resources and it's a huge drain on the other person's resources. One of the ways it's a, a drain on your resources is kind of like what Autumn was talking about there and what I kind of talked about, kind of getting up in your head and you're creating all these scenarios and you're building all of these stories that are, they're not necessarily true but you're writing these stories based on previous stories that played out in your life. And so you're creating all these scenarios. It's like that, I think it's a meme that I saw where it's like asking this person, oh, what's wrong? And it's like, well, I was thinking too much and I hurt my own feelings. It's kind of like that. You can get so up in your head and I have wasted so much energy getting myself riled up, expecting Calvin to do these horrible things that people in my past have done when he's not actually doing them. And I wear myself out in the process. And it's also a huge drain on the resources of the other person, because even if they want desperately to give you everything it is that you're asking for or that you desire from them, that would take a tremendous amount of effort for somebody else to fulfill all of your adult needs, even if they wanted to, even if they desperately tried to. 
And it's even more complicated when you are being passive aggressive or if you are expecting them to read your mind, because even if they're just pouring all of their effort into it, you still will not ultimately be happy. You're still going to find something that's wrong and you're going to fixate on that. And that's very destructive to both you and the other person. It's not only destructive, but it's also impossible. As someone that's been on both sides of the coin here, yes, I have a victim mentality, actively working on reducing that in many areas of my life. And I have, obviously, it's, you know, you heard the facts of my day, it's not 100% gone. But part of the trauma that happened in my childhood was that my mother assumed an extreme victim mentality. She basically went to bed for two years. If she had to go to the bathroom, I had to help her go to the bathroom. If she needed to eat, I had to feed her. And she was capable of doing those things, but because of the victim mentality that she had that was greatly encouraged and fostered by our father, she didn't believe she could do any of it. And she expected me to meet all of her needs. Her 13-year-old daughter was supposed to meet every single need she had. And even if I had been a capable adult, I would not have been able to fully meet her needs and mine as well. Being a caregiver is overwhelmingly stressful. Even when that other person is, for whatever reason, unable to meet their own needs, it's extremely stressful on you. And so if we can learn to, to move out of this victim mentality and start developing skills and finding ways to meet our own needs, it's not only beneficial to us, but it's going to be beneficial to our relationships as well. So we've talked a little bit about that victim mentality, what it is and why it's so damaging. Now let's take a minute to actually talk about why this victim mentality exists. Why do people exist in this state of victimhood? Well, a lot of times people with victim mentality have been or possibly still are victims at some point. You know, there's this big psychological mental health, self-help push out there that we just have trauma and then we're a survivor. It does not work that way. When you have trauma, when somebody perpetrates something so violent, so horrible, so damaging against you, for a while, you are a victim. And that's where this victimhood a lot of times comes from, is that you have at some point literally been a victim of something that has happened to you. And this may be a very personal trauma like Ivy and I have talked about, but this could also be social trauma. And I say that because the reality is victims are easier to control. And so that is why abusers want you to be a victim. That's why abusers want you to exist in that victim mentality. And our society, I mean, you can argue with me if you want, but the way I see it, our society likes easily controlled worker bees, easily controlled cogs. And one of the easiest ways to control people is to make them believe that they are incapable, that they can't change. And so I would say that in many aspects, society at large encourages this idea of victimhood. It encourages trauma perpetrated across societal levels so that we feel like victims, so that we continue being the cog in the machine and making money for the upper echelon and we don't shake the boat. We don't ever try to change anything because we actively believe we can't. You know, on that point, I would also say that the, the pressure to bypass being a victim and go straight to survivors in some ways almost a weird form of gaslighting where it's like, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal or even if it was a big deal, but you're so strong and you can overcome it without ever really acknowledging that you were a victim, without ever thinking about it, without ever processing it. 
which unfortunately, if you don't process things, they don't, they don't go away. I'm, I'm just telling you from my own personal experience, if you ignore it, it does not in fact go away. You do have to deal with it. You do have to process it. And it is impossible to jump straight from being victimized to just being a survivor. There is a whole process involved with it, just like grief is a whole process. And there is a lot of grief that's involved in the process of healing from trauma and abuse. To a certain degree, you have to allow yourself some room to be a victim so that you can heal enough to get to that survival point so that you can get even beyond that to the point that you're thriving. But in some ways, I feel like that push to just jump straight to survivor is almost this weird form of gaslighting. You're not ever having it fully acknowledged that you were wounded, that you were hurt. You're not really allowed that opportunity to grieve because there's so much pressure to be stronger, to be that survivor. It's it's kind of put on a, a pedestal to get to that point, which puts a lot of pressure on you to bypass the process of grieving and of healing. And I would say that that idea right there, that gaslighting, that idea that you should just go straight into survivor and we're just going to ignore that trauma part and forget that you were a victim for a while because that's inconvenient for us to see. I would say that piece there is the reason that a lot of us maintain the victimhood, that we stay in that victim mentality because we're seeking out that validation that we were hurt we were traumatized. These things were painful. They were life-altering. They were damaging to us. And sometimes the abusers or our family members or those associated, yes, they ignore it on that personal level, but it can also be ignored, like Ivy said, on that societal larger scale level. Me personally, this is part of the reason I stayed in victim mentality because I needed validation. I didn't have enough awareness yet to realize that's what I needed, but I needed somebody to come and say, oh my God, that shouldn't have happened to you. You were too young to handle that. I'm sorry you were hurt so badly by this. And I did not get that. For the longest time, I did not get that. And so I became the victim and I blew things out of proportion and I made things more negative so that people could see my pain, so that I could receive that validation that I needed so terribly badly just to, in part, acknowledge the fact that yes, I, I had experienced trauma. I am not insane. This isn't just me saying, oh, bad things happened and I couldn't handle it. Bad shit really happened to me. And I needed that to be acknowledged. And I really needed that little girl part of me, that little traumatized girl part of me that has been terrified since she was three years old, just needed somebody outside of me to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That shouldn't have happened. Until we're able to receive that validation, I think a lot of people stay in that victimhood because we need to in order to receive the validation. Because if you move straight to that survivor, well, obviously we don't need to emotionally care for you. We don't need to treat you with kid gloves. We don't need to acknowledge the bad things that have happened. But I tell you what, for me anyways, that validation and that acknowledgement was absolutely necessary to my healing journey. On the flip side of that, I kind of <laughs> I kind of went the, the direction of, well, I'll say I took the bait. I did try to jump directly to being a survivor. I took on that mentality of you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Other people have it worse than you. You need to be strong. You need to be resilient. You need to take care of everything yourself. You can't trust other people. I, in a lot of ways, did really take on that survivor mentality. And 
I really let it harden me in a lot of ways. I put up a lot of walls. I became hyper-responsible, hyper-independent. There were a lot of those things that I absorbed. And for a while, I thought I was doing good. What I was not seeing, and this is why I said, I think it's a, a weird form of gaslighting because what I did not see was that while I was being the survivor, I was bleeding out all over the place and refusing to acknowledge that I was bleeding. And I ultimately ended up pushing a lot of people away, even the ones who could see that I was struggling. They could see that I was bleeding and it'd be like, hey, you're bleeding out. I think we should get you some help. And I would just flat out deny it. I'm not bleeding out. I'm totally fine. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm resilient. I am all of these things. I don't need you. I don't need anybody else. I am fine. I can do this all myself. And to a certain degree, I still get stuck in that mentality sometimes. Like that's something I'm actively trying to break because it has been detrimental that I never really allowed myself to just be wounded. Anytime I felt wounded, I attacked myself for it. And I told myself, you're being weak. You need to be stronger than this. And I just kept focusing on that and I was focusing on the wrong thing. I never allowed myself that opportunity to actually be wounded and heal and let people in and let them love me and let them help me. And in some ways I perpetuated my own victim my own victimhood in that way because I never gave myself that opportunity. And I kept creating negative scenarios for myself as a result of it without even realizing that I was doing it. And that, that in and of itself is an excellent reason there to not skip to that survivor because you're not really just skipping to survivor. Unfortunately, the healing journey doesn't work that way. You can't just take shortcuts or beam me up Scotty to a point further along on the path. You've got to walk that path. I would say to some degree you need that victimhood at least to acknowledge it and to accept it at the beginning of the journey so that you can start even making that journey. And the thing with victimhood though, and I would say this is why a lot of people actually remain victims. So it's not just you have a victim mentality. A lot of us continue to be victims. We continue to seek out abusive relationships and abusive situations again and again and again. And a lot of people do not get this. They don't, you know, why don't you just leave? Why don't you find a different kind of person to love? Why don't you just be single for a while? Whatever it happens to be, they do not understand it. Part of it may be that seeking out, you know, familiar patterns or this is all I'm good enough for. But I would argue that part of it is a fear of the unknown. You, you know, you know the horror that you're in. You don't know what horror you might end up in. And if you've been through trauma, you've probably seen things that you shouldn't have seen at that age with that level of skill and adaptability. And so if you've seen that, what else is out there? And that is terrifying. That unknown is terrifying. Ivy and I, probably at any point during our childhood, could have said something to somebody, one of the members of church, uh, a relative, and said, this is what's happening at home. We don't have food. Our mom is in bed all the time. We never spoke out because we were terrified of what would happen. Would we end up in a foster home? Would we get separated? We didn't know. And that fear of the unknown, that fear of something new, I would say is another reason that a lot of us maintain not just the victimhood, but actively maintain being a victim again and again in our relationships. Yeah, I would agree with that because the, the unknown is always going to be way more terrifying than the known. Because even if you're living with the devil, 
it becomes normal after a while. You know what to expect. You know how to react. You know what's coming. Even if it's horrible, you know it. But to leave hell and go somewhere else, well, what is that that's outside of hell? And is it actually good or is that just a fairy tale and I'm going to get there and it's going to be even worse? Or even if it is better, will I be able to survive in something that's better because I've had it this way for so long? Can I adapt to anything that's different? And that does keep a lot of people stuck, I think. I, I would agree with Autumn that that's part of what it was that kept us stuck in, in our household. I think another thing that keeps people stuck in this, especially if they have endured abuse, is a sense of learned helplessness. No matter how strong-willed you are, no matter how independent you are, no matter how tough your resolve is and how stubborn you are, at some point, nearly everybody's mind can be broken. If you have somebody who's constantly telling you, nobody else is ever going to love you, nobody's going to put up with you, you won't be able to support yourself, you can't exist without me, you're not good enough for anything else, everybody else hates you, everybody else sees you as a burden, you're garbage, you're terrible, I'm the only person who would ever put up with you, the world is a dangerous place, you would die without me. If you have that hammered into you again and again and again and again, eventually your mind will break and you will believe that is true and you will stay stuck in that bad situation because in your mind, this is all there is. This is all I am capable of having. And anything beyond this, I can't even comprehend, but I know it's gonna be worse. We get stuck in this sometimes because we have actively been told so much and had it sometimes just mentally shoved into us, but other times also physically beat into us that this is it. This is the entirety of your world. There is nothing outside of this. Outside of this is just a void where everything is even worse than it is in here. So you better suck it up because this is all you get. And it's very easy from an outside perspective to say, well, I, I would do something different. But more often than not, studies have shown again and again, real life has shown again and again, when you're beaten down enough, eventually that learned helplessness response kicks in. That door may be wide open, but you're not going to run from it. You're just going to cower and pee on yourself because that's all you can do. And that's just a reality, unfortunately. And one of those things, like Ivy said, is... The abusers a lot of times will tell you that you can't and you're not capable and you're not good enough. And that's another part of the reason why people have this victim mentality is they don't believe that they can meet their own needs or possibly they can't meet their own needs. If you grew up in a traumatic home, even if it wasn't physically or sexually abusive, it was just, let's say it's just neglect, all that happens, just neglect, right? Let's make it sound so trivial, even though it's not. You did not learn a lot of skills. How are you supposed to cook for yourself when you have no idea how to do that? How are you supposed to budget to get your first apartment when you have no idea how to even apply for a job? And those are just basic skills. We're not even talking about things like emotional regulation, problem solving, or all the other psychological skills we need just to survive life. But we did not get those skills. Sometimes they were intentionally withheld from us. Sometimes we were gaslighted into believing that we could never even learn them because we were too stupid or too dense. Or sometimes people just failed to teach us the absolute basic necessary skills. And so when the person comes along and says, well, I can't make that phone call, on my own. I can't go to the grocery store by myself. 
that may be a reality for them at that time. That's not a mentality. It's a reality. And that's something that you are then going to have to learn the skills necessary so that it no longer is a reality. I also want to note there that even if you manage to break out of that mindset enough to actually get out of that situation and you get out into the world and you're trying to do all the things, even though you don't know how, you didn't learn the skills, sometimes that can be so overwhelming that some people end up going back to the situation that they were in because the process of trying to learn those skills is so overwhelming, so exhausting, so daunting. And unfortunately, there's also usually not a whole lot of patience that the rest of the world has if you haven't learned those skills. Because as an adult, people look at you and they expect that you should be able to budget your own money. They expect you to be able to go to the grocery store. They expect you to be able to do all of these things, to be able to cook for yourself, to be able to clean up after yourself. They expect you just to be able to do those things because they are basic skills. And as somebody who had to teach myself how to do literally fuck all everything, that learning curve was really rough. And part of what made it even more rough was that there was not a whole lot of allowance for that, not a lot of patience for that. There was just the expectation that, well, your parents should have taught it to you. And if they didn't, I don't know what to tell you because you still have to do these things. And even like superficial, trivial things, like I can't tell you how many times I have been teased and mocked because I don't know how to swim and I didn't learn how to ride a bike until I was in my late 20s. People hear that. They're like, that's ridiculous. How do you not know how to ride a bike? How did you not learn how to swim? That's such a basic survival skill. Like I spent all of the time at the pool when I was a kid, or I spent all of my time swimming in the pond when I was a kid. How did you not learn those things? That's ridiculous. And when you are somebody who's had to teach yourself how to do absolutely everything and other people are just trivializing the fact that you didn't learn these things, that can be really painful and that can make it even harder to pull yourself out of that sense of helplessness because everybody else is reinforcing the idea that, see, your abuser was right. You don't know how to do any of these things. Why don't you just go back home because you're inconveniencing us or you don't fit in with us because you don't know how to do things. Like that can be really rough. And I know those sound like super trivial things, but I was really embarrassed. I'm still embarrassed that I don't know how to swim. That is ridiculous, but nobody taught me. And that's something that a lot of people who have been victimized experience or these things that seem to be basic life skills that they just don't have a firm grasp on. And instead of people being patient with them and encouraging them a lot of times, instead you get stepped on further, which does sometimes encourage people to dive deeper into their victim mentality and sometimes to go back to the very situation that put them in this position in the first place. You know, as you were speaking, I thought those exact same things. Never learned how to swim. Didn't learn how to ride a bike until in my 20s because that was my story as well. But for me, I wasn't mocked. I actually had support from those around me. But even with all that, even with that support, it wasn't easy learning those skills. And that's because you're not just learning the skills. It's not like, oh, sweet, I have escaped my traumatic home. Everything's hunky-dory. Now I can just apply myself to learning necessary skills of life. No, it's now you're outside of the traumatic home. You got to figure out how to support yourself having no skills. You got to learn all these skills. And hey, bonus of all this, you now get to deprogram all the bullshit you went through. So have fun psychologically dealing with that for the next decade. 
on top of learning those skills. And I would say that that's another big reason why a lot of people stay in that victim mentality is that trauma piece right there, because that is a lot to process and a lot to deal with for a very long time for many of us, especially if you went through some complex stuff. And with that specifically, if that trauma happened during your childhood, when you get traumatized, you're going straight back to that age it happened. So when I hit a certain trigger in my life, I am not 41-year-old Autumn capable of doing this. I'm three-year-old Autumn cowering in the back of a station wagon alone and scared out of my mind. That's how I am. And when you have enough trauma and you're getting triggered all the time, triggered back to three, triggered back to 12, triggered back to 10, you almost never get a chance to be adult you because you're always in that infantile or child state. Or even if it happened as an adult, you're back in that victim state where you didn't have control and you didn't have a choice. And so you are a victim again. Part of that trauma trigger, when it takes you back to that point, when it flashes you back right to that moment, is flashing you back to being a victim again. And if you get triggered often enough daily in life, which can happen frequently with complex trauma, because it's the whole point of it being complex is it's interwoven with life, you never get a chance to, to get enough of a deep breath to not be in that victim state because your body is constantly pushing you back into it. Yeah, and a lot of the things that we've been talking about here, it, it lends itself to another one of the reasons why people tend to stay stuck in this victim mentality is just an intense fear of failure, an intense fear that you are not good enough now and that you will never be good enough, that you will always be a burden, that you'll always be stupid, that you'll always be ugly, that you'll always be horrible, that you'll, you're always just going to be garbage that fear can really keep people stuck in victim mentality too. And it can stop you from even trying things. I have been very guilty of that. If anything, that is one of the holdovers from victim mentality that holds me back the most. If I had grown up in an environment that really fostered it and, I, and it had been nurtured, I think I would be an intensely creative person because I get a lot of ideas I'm like, oh, it would be so cool to, to write this. And I have all of these different ideas or I see things out in nature and I'm like, oh, I, I want to get this perfect shot of that. And then I have this thing that I want to write to go with it. And I want to write my own book someday. And I have all of these ideas for visual art forms that I want to create. And I've even gone out and I've bought the art supplies. I've done all of this, this groundwork. But then I think to myself, well, I'm not going to be able to execute it the way that I want to somebody else's work is going to be so much better than mine. There's no point in me even putting this out there. You know, the, the creative world is already saturated enough as it is. If I create this and I present it to the rest of the world, all I'll be doing is, you know, just distracting away from people with actual talent and actual skill. I'll never actually get good at that. There's no point in me trying. And so I stymie myself all the time. I have a closet full of art supplies that I'll be honest, I've barely even touched because I have no faith in myself for a lot of those things. And that's one of the things that keeps people stuck in that victim mentality is thinking, I, I won't be able to do anything. Nothing I do will be good enough. I will fail at everything that I do. And I'm just going to stay insular. I'm, I'm not going to put anything out there. I'm not really going to try to create because I won't be able to do anything good anyway. That is a very real thing that happens to people when they've been traumatized, when they've been victimized, when they've been abused, and they get stuck in that that state of victimhood. It's this idea that I will fail at everything that I do. I will never be good enough. So what is the point of even trying? 
And sadly, that almost that exact idea can happen even if you are a gifted child or the golden child. What happened with me, it was that failure had much too high of a consequence for me. So yes, I did everything perfectly because if I failed, people died. And yes, that sounds, oh, that sounds extreme, Autumn. I mean, you're just a 12-year-old girl, but it wasn't. When I failed, when I took a misstep, my mother tried to kill herself. If I did not complete something exactly as it needed to be, Ivy did not eat that day. So my failures had extreme consequences. And so when I got out into life and I'm trying to learn new skills, I'm terrified because I had been taught for over a decade that if I messed up, if I failed, the consequences were life altering. And let me tell you, learning how to fail when you are in your 20s is overwhelming. So unfortunately, whether you were the gifted child or the golden child or you were the scapegoat, that idea that you can't learn these skills, that fear of failure is still going to be there making this this trek out of victimhood, this learning of new skills, the increasing of your capability so much more difficult because you're still filled with all of these ideas that you cannot. One last reason that we want to touch on as for why people remain in this, this victim state and keep this victim mentality around them speaks directly to that idea of manipulation and passive aggressiveness that is such a, a cornerstone of the victim mentality. And the reality is manipulation for a lot of us that were victims, for a lot of us that went through trauma, was a necessary survival skill. It was how we got our needs met. We had to manipulate those that were in control around us to get sometimes even basic needs met. Maybe that was going to the bathroom. Maybe that was getting food that day. Maybe that was not getting beaten, depending on what your situation was. But manipulation was an absolute necessity, and it is partially what kept us alive. And so the idea of stepping back from that much manipulation is terrifying. You want me to just directly tell you what I want? No, I, I have learned for 20 years, I have learned that will never get me what I need. That will get me the exact opposite. I have to manipulate others and I have to go about it sideways and passively if ever I want to get my needs met. One note I do want to make about manipulation, though, is that this is not something that is specific to people who are in that, that victim mentality. To a certain degree, manipulation is something that all humans do. The word manipulation has gotten such a bad rap and it's so stigmatized and has a lot of negative connotations. But it's not all this evil thing that people do with ulterior motives to ruin your life or steal your money or whatever. That's not what manipulation is in its simplest form. We all tend to manipulate as something that's built into humans in the way that we interact with each other. Just something as simple as wanting somebody to like you. When you start dating somebody, a lot of us, we go into it kind of on our best behavior, putting our best foot forward. We don't show everything about ourselves right away. We don't show all of our little quirks. We don't fart on the first date. We don't pick our nose in front of this person we just started seeing. But those may be things that we do on a regular basis when we're at home. But we don't show all of these things at the, at the beginning because we want to leave a good impression on them. Those things are a form of manipulation. It's not done with some horrible ulterior motive. 
a lot of times we do these things that are manipulative because we're trying to create positive scenarios in situations with other people and interactions. With victim mentality, sometimes those wires get crossed and we think that we're doing something that will ultimately be good for us in that scenario or will be helpful for the relationship, but our wires are crossed and our perception is warped. And so we ultimately end up doing things that are actually negative and that damage the relationship or damage ourselves or the other people instead. But it's generally not done with this ulterior dark motive. There's usually nothing sinister about it. I mean, yeah, there are there are definitely forms of manipulation that are very sinister. People, you know, abusers who do put on their best face to suck people into a relationship with them or suck people into a cult or get them to join an MLM. I mean, those are things that can have a more sinister side of things, but the idea that manipulation is lock, stock, and barrel, this horrible, sinister, awful, dark thing is a misnomer. And I think if we can remove the stigma from that word and see it a little bit more neutrally, I think removing the stigma from this idea of, of manipulation could actually be very beneficial in kind of helping shift perspectives, both for the person in victim mentality and also for the people who are interacting with that person in victim mentality. It would definitely be helpful for those that are in relationships with people that have victim mentality as well. Manipulation is not 100% bad. Like Ivy said, I would say manipulation is a tool. And so you really have to look at the intent behind it. Are they manipulating you because they want to hurt you? Or are they manipulating you to possibly try to help you to better the situation because they don't have the skills necessary to ask for something directly or possibly are terrified? to ask for something directly. So yeah, dropping the stigma on manipulation. I am for that 100%. Ultimately, while there are a lot of very valid and necessary reasons that people may have a victim mentality or stay in this victimhood state, when we get out of those victim situations, it is better for our mental health to start reducing a lot of that victim mentality, to start moving down that pathway towards that survivor ideal, and then hopefully pass that survivor ideal towards that thriving. So how do you start doing that? How do you reduce the victim mentality? Well, first off, we definitely want to point out that it's not an all or nothing thing. Just like we said at the beginning, and we were kind of joking around like, oh, you know, you're not 0% victim anymore. The reality is, is victimhood and the victim mentality is just part of life. It's part of being a normal, whatever that means, or average human. We all have that in us. So getting to the idea that I should never be a victim and I should never have any of these traits of, of victimhood or victim mentality that's that's an impossible goal to reach. So I would say it starts right there is starting to acknowledge the fact that victim mentality is to some degree a normative human experience and that it's okay that it shifts from day to day as well. It's always okay to have part of that in you. And depending on the situation you're in, if you're still in a victim situation, it may be an absolute necessary part of surviving that situation until you can break free from it. When we're talking about the victim mentality, part of what we're also talking about are behaviors and, and thoughts, right? And being a behaviorist at heart, I would say it's also important to remember that you can't stop behaviors. And I would say you can't necessarily even stop thoughts. 
but what you can do is replace them. And so when you are looking at reducing that victim mentality and moving further along that healing journey towards that survivor, towards that thriving, don't think about it in terms of stopping this thought or not doing this thing anymore, but think about what you want to do instead, the kind of thoughts you want to have in their place. It's about replacing, not stopping. I definitely agree with that. And I would say that the next step in reducing victim mentality is to not pathologize it or shame it. It is a state of being that is very natural. Every person to some degree falls into this space of victim mentality. I, I would even go so far as to say that maybe some of the people who aggressively say that they do not have victim mentality probably have quite a bit that they're just not dealing with. So this is something that is just inherent to a certain degree in all people. So don't feel shame about it. Let's just remove the shame from it completely. And I know that's easier said than done, but it is an important step in being able to reduce that victim mentality and start to step out of that mentality is by not being ashamed of it because shame is something that can keep us stuck in negative patterns as well. And stop thinking about it as this pathological thing. It is a natural after effect of having been through something traumatic. That's it. So there's no reason to see this as some sort of disease that makes us leprous and horrible and awful. This is something that all people have to a certain degree. It's all on a spectrum. And even if you are higher on that scale, that is nothing for you to be ashamed about. And if you stay stuck in that shame, that's going to go hand in hand with the rest of that victim mentality of that, that helplessness and hopelessness and depression and feeling stuck and like you can't do anything for yourself. And if you are someone who has been through a significant trauma, if you've been abused, you've been neglected, you have been victimized, if this is something that has happened to you, do not downplay that. It is not a surprise that you would fall into this victim mentality. It is the natural byproduct of being through something that is really, really traumatic and has left a significant imprint on us. And some of the things that go with victim mentality are things that we have used as survival mechanisms. Maybe they aren't particularly helpful now, but they're things that were helpful to us at one point. Being ashamed of that will not help you get out of that headspace. It will not help you to create new patterns it will keep you stuck in that negative space. And I don't like the idea of turning victim mentality into this pathological thing. It is, again, like I said, the natural byproduct of having been through something that was intensely traumatic. It is something that we kind of need to go through, I think, in order to heal, in order to grieve, in order to move forward and find closure for ourselves and build our level of confidence in ourselves and our level of competence in life. It is not a disease that makes us leprous. It is a step that comes after the victimization, that comes after the trauma and abuse. It is a step towards healing. It is not a disease that makes us broken and fucked up and unworthy. It is not. It's just part of the healing journey. And th those ideas are very, very general. You know, it's not all or nothing and we can only replace behavior and don't have shame and pathologize this. All very general ideas. So let's get into some more specific concepts. Like what can I actually do? And so 
The next few things we're going to be talking about draw strongly from CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And Ivy and I will actually throw up on our resource page a couple of journal articles that show the research behind this. And this is partially, yes, you know, journal article research, but this is also Ivy and I's personal experiences with how we've worked to counter and reduce that victim mentality in our personal lives. But I do want to say one thing, though, is that working to reduce that victim mentality to move towards survivor and thriving goes hand in hand with trauma work. So if you have had specific trauma, this is going to go hand in hand with that. And I'll also say that a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy principles don't necessarily work for trauma. So what that means is that if you are in a state of dysregulation, if you are in a state of crisis, if you are constantly being triggered, you're going to have to start working on that trauma piece first before you can start necessarily working on that victim mentality piece. All right. So doing the trauma work is going to get you started on your journey. And then you can really start diving into that nitty gritty of specifically focusing on this. Ultimately, that victim mentality, that sense of victimhood, once we're out of that victimizing situation, it consists of a lot of irrational beliefs and irrational ideas that are no longer true for the world we live in. And that's why CBT is great for this, because that's what CBT does. It deals with irrational thoughts and helps you to address them. So some of these things will be great if you're further along on your journey, and some of them might even work even if you're in that dysregulated state. But some of these you may need to do some of the trauma work before you can move forward with these ideas. Okay, so let's jump into this. The very first specific thing that we want to talk about here is acceptance of that victim mentality. And we've kind of touched on this already, and I shared some personal examples from my own life, but it's it's true. If you're going to be able to reduce some of this victim mentality, if you're going to heal to a point where you can be a survivor and then get even further along and actually be thriving in life so that you're not defined by either of those labels of victim or survivor, you first have to start with acceptance. Acceptance and acknowledgement of, first of all, what happened to you that made you a victim. Even if you're not being actively victimized right now, at one point you were a victim of something. Something was inflicted upon you that I will say first and foremost that you did not deserve. So let's address that first right off the bat. What it was that you went through, what it was that put you in that space of victimhood you did not deserve was not your fault. I just want to say that because we do have a tendency to blame ourselves and feel guilt and feel like we should have done more or we could have done more, that we should have been more. No, it was not your fault what happened to you. It was not, okay? But we do have to acknowledge and accept that it did happen. And part of accepting that it did happen is accepting that in that moment, for that period of time, in that situation or scenario, we were in fact a victim. And there are consequences to that. And there are long-term impacts of that. And one of those things is victim mentality. We do tend to delve deeper in that when we have been through a significant trauma. Like, again, it's not a disease. It doesn't make you leprous. It doesn't make you shameful or broken or anything like that. It just is what it is. This is a step towards healing. But you never get to see it as a step towards healing if you don't first acknowledge it. This also lends itself to something Autumn mentioned earlier in the episode, which is that need for validation. 
part of why it's so important to acknowledge and recognize this is because too often we do not get the validation from external sources that this was something that happened to us, that we were victimized, that we were abused, that we were traumatized, and we certainly are not going to get it from the people who actively abused us or traumatized us in most situations. So a lot of times, just as closure and healing starts from within and it is a internal process, so is that validation. This is a really important step towards actually being able to heal and reduce that victim mentality. We are acknowledging that we are wounded. We are not doing what I used to do, which is bleed out all over the place and onto everybody who loves us and pretend like it's not happening. You can't put a Band-Aid on that. You can't just pretend it's not there. Like I said earlier in the episode, ignoring something does not make it go away. It has to be acknowledged, it has to be seen, it has to be validated, it has to be addressed properly. And if we don't ever see it, we don't acknowledge it, we can't begin to heal from it, not really. But once we do actually see it and we validate it and we validate our experience and the impact that it had on us and the long-term consequences that we are now dealing with, this is a very positive thing. It can be painful and it may not feel positive at first, but it is actually a very, very positive thing. Because one of the things that this does is it moves us from a space of passivity to action. We are no longer ignoring that it happened. We're no longer just trying to continue on like normal or like things never happen. We're not waiting for another person to come along and fix us or fulfill our needs or apologize to us. We're not just sitting around waiting. We are actively involved in the process of our own healing and we are giving ourselves the nurturance and love that we should have had from the get-go. We are saying, yes, I have this big gaping open wound and it hurts and it's bleeding and this feels scary and I don't know how to fix it yet, but I, I'm going to try. I'm going to work on this. This is now something I have taken ownership of. And if, even if nobody else helps me, which chances are there will be people who do want to help you that do love you. But even if you don't feel that just taking ownership of this wound and saying, okay, I did not inflict this wound, but I'll be damned if I'm not the one who's going to heal it. That helps us so much to start stepping out of that victim mentality. Because as we talked about before, that victim mentality includes that learned helplessness. If you stop seeing yourself as helpless, that's a huge step towards getting out of victim mentality. And when you are taking that active role in your own healing, you know what? Another thing that it does is that it increases our level of confidence in our ability to heal because now we're taking action. We're learning new skills. We're trying to understand and process what we went through. We are taking an active role in getting to a better space. And as we work on that, it increases our level of competence as you learn these new skills, as you replace old behaviors that were damaging with new behaviors that are healthy, we start to feel more competent. That increases our confidence level even further. This is such a necessary thing for us in order to be able to heal. And it's such a necessary thing for us in order to have healthy relationships moving forward. Because Again, if you don't acknowledge that you have this big wound that's just bleeding out all over the place, you will bleed out onto other people around you. And that is going to be devastating not only to you, but to the people around you who love you as well. So take ownership of it. You are, you are definitely strong enough to take ownership of this. You may not feel like it, and it is okay to feel weak. It is okay 
to be uncertain. It's okay to be fearful of the unknown. It is okay to feel these big, scary feelings as long as you're actually moving through them and you're trying to process them to move on to something better. But that starts with acknowledgement and validation and acceptance of what you have been through and where you're at right now. Because without that, you can't move on to something better. Think about it as directly correlative to your physical health. If you had a compound fracture, refusing to accept that your bone is broken and sticking out of the skin isn't going to fix anything. You've got to acknowledge that, oh, my bone is broken so that you can even begin to do something about it. And if you've been through complex trauma, well, that is not a single fracture. That is multiple bones within your body broken. That is internal injuries to your organs. And you've got to acknowledge that, yes, I've, I've gotten broken things. Bad things have happened to my body. I need to get this fixed. I need to do something. And so, yes, that acceptance is... I would say one of the absolute key critical pieces. Now, as we move through these, keep in mind, this is not a step-by-step -step scenario because everybody's journey is different. These are just different components of what we have used in our life. The next one we wanna talk about is acceptance. Not just acceptance of what has happened to you or acceptance of the trauma or acceptance of that wound, but just acceptance in general and radical acceptance at that, that things cannot be changed bad things happened. Should they have happened? No. Is it unjust that they happened? Yes, horribly unjust. The reality is that they happened. And unfortunately, we have to accept that. And I would say radical acceptance is one of the things that I struggle with so badly. And I'm not sure if that's me, if it's my trauma, if it's my autism, because I get so caught up on that idea of, yeah, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't have happened, but it did, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't have happened. And so I don't want to accept it because I feel like somehow accepting it makes it okay. Accepting it gives it my approval that it happened. But that is not true. We're going to post a link on a resource page that'll give you a handout for some radical acceptance stuff. This is really drawn from that DBT, which is the dialectical behavioral therapy. Love that stuff because yes, it has the behaviorism and it has the cognitive piece, but it also has a lot of Zen and Eastern philosophy in there. So I love that mix. And this radical acceptance, I would say, is a crux of all of those things coming together of learning to be like, okay, it shouldn't have happened, but it did. Because when you can say, but it did, that then allows you to move forward. Because when you first accept it, you can be caught up in that horror and caught up in the unjustness of it. But if you stay caught up there, you're never going to walk down the rest of the path. You're going to get stuck in the anger and the resentment and the horror of everything that happened. And so you've got to say it did. And now what? And that's what I've learned radical acceptance is, at least for me. Yes, it happened. I accepted it. I don't approve of it, mind you, but I accept it. And now what? Now what I'm going to do? Okay, so the next piece in here we're going to talk to is identifying irrational versus rational ideas. And I'm going to actually broaden that out to a rational versus rational behavior. So part of what we talked about previously was that idea that victim mentality and victimhood, in part, are the behaviors that we needed to have to survive a traumatic situation. When we get 
out of that situation into a healthy environment, into an environment that is not actively trying to kill us or harm us, oftentimes those behaviors and those thoughts no longer make any sense. And so we've got to start identifying that piece right there is what even makes sense in my new environment? Does this make sense to think this way anymore, to be this way anymore? An excellent example, and it's a very simplified one, but it's also a very representational and accurate one, is when an individual goes through wartime trauma and they've exposed to shells and bombings and the like, okay? I was with one of those individuals on a 4th of July and every time a firework went off, they ducked. It is an automatic reaction. They hadn't been in war for, I think at that point it was like 20 or 30 years, and that was still with them. And it seems ridiculous. It's a firework. It's not going to hurt you. It's miles away, potentially, even if it was like one of those big exploding ones. It's ridiculous, right? It's irrational. Yet in that situation of wartime, that was the most rational behavior ever. You thought something was going to explode, you dive, you, you go for cover. It makes all sorts of sense in the right situation. But now that we're out of that situation, we really have to start looking at those behaviors that were left over, those ideas that we have left over and going, okay, does it make sense that I can't go to the grocery store by myself now? I, I have a vehicle, I have money that I have earned, I can go in there by myself, can I? Well, maybe you can and maybe you can't because honestly, some days I'm terrified to go anywhere by myself, I'll admit that, but you don't know until you find out. And so now you can actually start testing that and go, okay, I'm gonna go to the grocery store by myself. I'm gonna walk in that door. I'm gonna sense how I'm feeling. I'm gonna accurately look at my environment and see what is or is not threatening to me. And so that piece of irrational versus rational ideas, which ties directly into that CBT, as well as those ideas of irrational versus rational behaviors that ties directly into our leftover trauma responses is vital to start breaking down that victim mentality. I would also add one more note on the end of that point, which is that personally, this is just my opinion, but the more complex your trauma was and the longer that it went on, the harder this skill will be to develop. It is still well worth the effort, I assure you. But I say this because I want you to have reasonable expectations of your ability to parse out the difference between rational and irrational. It is a learning curve. I have, over the last several years now, starting in like about 2016, I would say the year that our mom died, that was that whole year was something else for me. And one of the things that I started doing that year, because I felt like I was losing my fucking mind, was I started this reality check thing with myself where every time I would find myself getting worked up or really anxious or going to that victim mentality mode, every time I would do that, I would take a step back and say, okay, am I being unreasonable? And I would try to analytically pick things apart. And I will admit, looking back now, some of the things that I thought I was being rational about, I was not being rational about. It is a skill that you develop over time. And there is a learning curve because when you have really complex trauma that has impacted you for a very long time, and you've not only just been in victim mentality for a long time, you've been in this, this kind of warped reality as it were, because of what you've been through, because of the environment that you were in or the abuse that you suffered, that does warp your sense of reality. And it can actually be very difficult to tell the difference between 
rational and irrational. So yes, this is a skill that is absolutely 100% worth working on, but try to have reasonable expectations of yourself. You will not get it perfect. It does take time to develop. And over time, you do get better at being able to tell the difference between what is real and what is just this irrational thought process that you've got going on in your head. This is something that takes time to develop though. You are slowly evolving the entire way that you think. It's not just about victim mentality. It is about shifting your perspective of reality in general. I would also say with that, that one of the best things you can do is to find a sounding board. And I would really recommend a very educated and very understanding sounding board. They don't necessarily need a degree or to be a therapist, but they should have some experience of having been through this themselves. So when you are acting or thinking irrationally, they're able to point that out in a gentle way. They're able to help you pinpoint where it's coming from so that you can trace that back and do the trauma work with it. And that is one of the reasons that therapists are so ideal when doing trauma work is because they have that training and that experience necessary to help you see, okay, yes, that behavior helped you survive and that is excellent and it doesn't match with what's going on right now. So how can we get ourselves into this reality? And so finding that external sounding board that has that gentle ability to help you decipher those ideas is really, really an excellent tool for that as well. I definitely agree with that. If you can afford therapy, and I know it can be hard to do that, but if you can avoid therapy, it is so helpful. Uh, I will put on the resources page a, a resource that I actually used. It was called Open Path Collective, where they have very affordable options for you to start working with a therapist. That's where I found my therapist. She's been amazing and super, super helpful. Like all of their practitioners on there have agreed to work within a certain price range to make it affordable for people without insurance. So I will put that on our resources page. All right. So the next point that we want to talk to here is being able to identify and address negative self-talk. So this is something that is, I'm going to say twofold here, because there's the just straight up negative self-talk, the very blatant, obvious things. And then I would also say there's certain words that have a lot of stigma with them. So our perception of something can be very negative, even if the thing in and of itself is neutral. Kind of like what I was talking about earlier with the word manipulation. We have a lot of negative connotations with manipulation, even victim mentality. There's a lot of negative connotations with that term. Both of those things are universal with humans. They are actually quite neutral concepts just as they are that can be turned into something really negative. So with the identifying and addressing negative self-talk, that is part of it. Certain words you will have negative connotations with that maybe it's good to start working on breaking down the stigma that you have around those things. The other part of it is the just identifying the aggressively negative self-talk that you have. And this is a very common thing that people have just in general, just people in society. A lot of times we do beat up on ourselves for not being perfect by societal standards. Everybody, again, this is a universal thing. This is not just indicative of people who have gone through a huge trauma. This is something that all humans are susceptible to is this negative self-talk. But when you have been traumatized, especially if you have been abused, this tends to be much worse. 
These are all things that really further complicate that negative inner monologue that we have. And we need to be very careful about, about not using the same weapons that our abuser used against us, not using those to further abuse ourselves. If somebody stabbed you with a knife, most people are not going to take that knife from them and just continue stabbing themselves. But we do that with words. And this is one of those things with the victim mentality that keeps us really stuck is this negative self-talk. It's that I am too weak to take care of myself. I am incompetent. I am unworthy of love. Nobody will ever care about me. I am a burden to other people. It's so easy to spiral out into those messages in part because those are the messages that we have been given. Whether those things were directly said to us or whether it was subliminal messaging, these were the messages that we got. We need, if we're going to get out of victim mentality, if we're really going to heal, if we're going to start seeing ourselves as strong, if we're going to start seeing ourselves as survivors, if we're ever going to get to a point where we really thrive and love ourselves, we have to stop perpetuating those negative ideas. We have to stop perpetuating that negative self-talk. And we have to remove too those stigmas around things like victim mentality, or even removing stigmas around things that maybe people use against you that they should never have used against you. Like if you are autistic for a long time and to a certain degree, there is a lot of idea that this was something that, oh, this is a horrible thing and we need to fix this. We need to find a cure for this. We need to stop this from ever happening again. That's kind of abusive because a lot of the people that I know who are autistic, they don't dislike their autism. Yes, it can be challenging for them, but they don't hate this part of themselves. But those things, which are, again, neutral things or may even be something that you see is, is positive or that you would like to see as positive in yourself, if somebody has used that to beat you down, you're going to have negative connotations with those words. These are things that keep us stuck in victim mentality. And if we want to be able to emerge on the other side of that and actually really become the people that we want to be and to be able to enjoy life and to love ourselves, we have to stop talking down to ourselves. Do not use your abuser's tools against yourself. Don't make their job easy. And that's part of why that CBT, that cognitive behavioral therapy, is so primary and useful with the victim mentality because it is addressing those thought patterns. It speaks directly to those thoughts that were put in there that are irrational, that are negative, that aren't accurate, that maybe aren't even our own, and helps us acknowledge them and then work with them so that we can make them more rational and hopefully make them more positive so that we can start finding some good things about ourselves and about our lives, which speaks directly to another piece of all this, which is developing a sense of gratitude. And maybe maybe you're all like, yay, gratitude, go gratitude, so helpful. But if you're like me, I used to absolutely scoff at the idea of gratitude, of being thankful. It's just like, oh, really? Because that's going to help me. Oh, yay, it's a pretty sunset. That's going to cure my depression. I don't think so. Me being thankful for that isn't going to do damn diddly squat. But I then forced myself into gratitude because there's so much research behind it. And I was like, all right, fine. I will reluctantly be grateful for something. And... 
it actually helped me a lot because one of the things that I ended up doing was I became very, very negative. And part of that was to get that validation. And even after I received that validation, though, I had gotten stuck in that super negative place. And all I could see was the grayness and the blood and the trauma. And that was it. And so the gratitude opened up little chinks in all of that to let down pinpoints of light. And that gratitude helped keep me moving forward. It helped me find a reason to want to continue to heal, to not just want to be a survivor, but to be a thriver, to enjoy life and to live it, not just survive it. That is what gratitude did for me. And it's so simple. It's so ridiculously simple. And I think that's part of why I scoffed at it because it seems so ridiculously simple and juvenile. But I ended up doing where I would just every day for like a month was five things I was grateful for that day. At the end of the day, five things I had to do it. And it does. It really does help build up hope and it helps you find that reason to keep moving forward. On that note of things that are deceptively simple, but actually quite helpful, one of the things that I've personally found really helpful is mindfulness practice. And the reason why I think that was so helpful for me is because with that victim mentality and with a lot of other things too, just in the process of grieving and recovering from trauma and trying to cope with mental health stuff, it is so easy to get trapped inside your own head and to forget that there is a world outside your own head. Uh, when you are feeling like you are constantly at war with your own mind, it is very easy to lose track of everything outside of you. You really tend to start going on autopilot with everything externally because you're just so wrapped up in your own thoughts. So mindfulness practice has been very helpful for me and being able to break out of some of the negative spirals that I end up with in my head because it forces me to get outside of my head. It forces me to be more observant of the world around me, to be more aware and kind of give myself a break from the war I wage in my head sometimes. For me, the biggest one is just going out into nature. Even this morning, I woke up feeling pretty depressed and I was feeling also kind of anxious. And I really just wanted to stay in bed the whole day and do absolutely nothing and just sleep. It, it was one of those days where I woke up feeling that way. But instead of giving into that temptation and caveat here, sometimes you actually do need to just stay in bed the whole day and give yourself a full on rest. I'm not saying anything against that, but I felt that in my situation this time around, that was actually going to be damaging for me. So instead I forced myself to get up, I ate some breakfast, and then I went with, with Calvin to take his parents' dog for a walk in the woods. And by the time I got back, I felt so much better. While we were out in the woods, I was intentionally looking for interesting things, looking at the different types of birds, scoping out the, the tops of the trees to see how many birds' nests there were, looking at the ground to see what wildflowers were popping up. We found some really amazing oyster mushrooms that we're going to have for dinner tonight that I would never have found if one, I had stayed in bed all day, or two, if I'd just gone out into nature, but not gotten outside of my head. Sometimes it is important to find ways to connect yourself to your actual environment and get outside of your head to give yourself a break. That doesn't, it's not always going to fix it, but sometimes it does give you the reset you need to put you in a better headspace and gives you the break that you need from your own negative thoughts so that you don't spiral out. 
it is important to be able to see things outside of yourself and outside of your struggles and to find ways to remind yourself that life can still be beautiful and the world can still be beautiful and there is still hope and there is a reason to get up every day and there is a reason to keep working on healing and getting better so that you can enjoy life even more. I would say that mindfulness piece is especially vital to getting out of and breaking down that victim mentality. And that is partially because what we do as humans is we go on to autopilot. It's just easier that way. It's what we're designed to do. It reserves resources, which can be great in many, many situations. But if you are in that victim mentality, if you come from that background of trauma, your autopilot is going to have you operating as though you are still being victimized, as though you are still experiencing trauma. Mindfulness can turn that autopilot off. So when you do those mindfulness behaviors, you're directly immersing yourself in the reality as it is now. And that's an excellent, excellent thing for you to do to start breaking out of and breaking free from this victim mentality because you need to rediscover what reality is. I would say mindfulness is an absolute necessity for emerging out of that victim mentality and reducing those ideas. Now, another piece of that as well is fostering empathy and thinking about others. And while this sounds like a really nice general concept that should be easy to do if you love other people, it can be surprisingly difficult. And one part of that is because when you are in survival mode, which is part of what that victim mentality is, is a survival mode, you're concerned about you and you alone. Or possibly if you were in trauma with somebody and you cared for them, you're concerned only about you and them and nobody else. And so it's very hard to start opening yourself up to other humans and considering what they need when you feel like your needs aren't getting met. The other reason I say this is very difficult is that if you were put in a position as I was where you were a caregiver, your empathy and your concern for others may have been significantly overtaxed and misused. And that's what happened to me. So for almost, I don't know, I would say about a decade, I was not allowed to be concerned with my needs. I had to be concerned with other people's. My mother's was primary and then other people fell in below and then I was at the very, very bottom of the list. And so when I finally broke free from that situation, I could finally just be concerned about Autumn. I could withdraw and just be concerned about myself and me alone and be selfish, which felt amazing. And so then when the idea of, well, we need to start fostering empathy. We need about thinking about others and not just people pleasing and manipulating to stay safe, but honestly, truly, lovingly thinking about and considering others' thoughts and feelings. That was extremely difficult for me, not just because I had been overtaxed, but because I was terrified that that's what was going to happen again. And this is still a balance I'm doing to this day is learning how to acknowledge and be concerned about the needs of loved ones and not be overwhelmed by them. And so this idea of fostering empathy, it sounds like, oh yeah, it's a really great concept. But for those of us whose empathy got abused, it, it can be a slippery slope. And I would say it's a very hard learning curve, learning to balance empathy with others, but also keeping empathy and love for yourself as well. 
I agree that this one is a difficult one. It's one that I definitely still struggle with as well. Part of the reason why I struggle with it is I call it going into dragon mode. So, you know, in a lot of fantasy themed stories where there's dragons, they're usually protecting this treasure. They're deep in their cave, protecting their treasure. And I tend to do this because I spent so many years in survival mode where resources were very limited. My internal resources were limited, but also financial resources were very limited. And so when I find myself in a situation where that happens again, and I feel like I don't have enough resources to go around, I do tend to hoard them and I keep to myself and I kind of hide out in my cave and protect my resources. And it doesn't feel safe to have empathy for, for other people. And I know that sounds weird, but it doesn't feel safe for me to have empathy for other people in those situations because the more empathy I feel for those other people and the more need I see in the world, the more overwhelmed I become by it, the more I want to do something to help and the more that stresses me out because I only have so many resources and I, I'm already struggling. I'm kind of in a space like that right now. Ever since I was in the accident, just I haven't been working as much. So finances are kind of tight and I'm still recovering from my injuries and from the concussion, especially, which is that is a, a whole journey in and of itself. And I feel like my resources overall are just way more limited than they even were before the accident. And so I find myself having a harder time reaching out and wanting to know what's going on with other people and wanting to check in on them because I just feel so overwhelmed already. And I'm so used to being in that survival mode, which makes me want to hoard all of those resources and keep them to myself and not really share them. And to a certain degree, there are times when that is necessary, but there's more than one type of resource. And I'm trying to remind myself of that, that just because I see somebody that I care about financially struggling, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to give them money that I don't have to give but I can offer other things to them. I can still feel that empathy. I can still care about them. I can still love them. I can still feel compassion for them. I can still want to help and I can probably still find ways to help even if it's not the ways that maybe I would want to if I was in a space where I had more resources accessible to me. Those ideas you talk about, Ivy, I feel directly speak to finding a balance and becoming okay with things being dynamic and shifting and changing. Because I feel like another part of victimhood is that just like the trauma we were in, it's a very rigid mentality and it's a very extreme mentality, which makes it a very easy mentality to follow. So learning that things shift and things change and today I can be more empathetic and tomorrow less empathetic or maybe just be concerned or offer concern in this manner but not that manner. It's a whole world of gray when we've lived so long in a black and white and learning the nuances of that gray and how to operate them and flow with them and be aware of our own needs enough that we can continue to meet our needs and have boundaries that protect us, but also invite other people in and love them and empathize with them and validate them. It, it's such a difficult balance. And the next piece of all this that we want to speak to for emerging out of that victim mentality, reducing that idea of victimhood, is pattern breaking. 
And yes, there is the overarching idea of breaking the chains, no longer passing trauma forward. And yes, that is definitely necessary. But I would say this pattern breaking also goes towards very small daily pieces as well. Maybe that's moving to a different location, cutting people out of your life, getting a different job, starting a different profession even. Victimhood is part of being in a very specific reality with a specific autopilot. So anything we can do to make our reality drastically different than that reality we came from is going to be so beneficial to reducing those feelings of victimhood in ourselves. I have definitely found that pattern breaking is very important and very vital. One of the ways it's been particularly crucial for me is removing certain people from my life. That doesn't necessarily mean that all of those people will be forever removed from my life, but there have been individuals that I was close to at one point or another, or that I'm related to, but I kind of always had a tumultuous relationship with, and it was not healthy for me to be in contact with them. So I just had to literally and completely cut ties. Some of those people I have brought back into my circle. Others, I'm pretty sure I will probably always have to keep at bay because being around those people and being stuck in those same relationship dynamics kept me stuck in the same internal patterns. And it kept me stuck in that victim mentality because that was the dynamic that I had with those individual people. I would also say that pattern breaking applies to removing yourself from entire situations, not even necessarily just cutting ties with people, but sometimes it's necessary to completely remove yourself from a situation. There are times, and not everybody will have to do this, it's not appropriate for every situation, and sometimes you literally can't. There are people that I have known who have grown up in an area that was not particularly great for them. The, the people around them, the mentality around them, the political climate around them did not fit them well. And so they were kind of stuck in the space of being perpetually victimized because the community that they were a part of did not fit with who they were or it encouraged them to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do. And the only way for them to get out of these negative patterns and to really start to heal and acknowledge everything that they'd been through and really feel safe, the only way for them to do that was to completely remove themselves from that situation, move to a completely different state, get away from their family members, get away from the old friends that they had, get away from the political climate that persecuted who it was that they were as a person. Sometimes it is necessary to completely cut ties with an entire portion of your life, basically, so that you can get someplace that is safe enough for you to discover yourself and actually heal. That's part of pattern breaking too sometimes, and that is a much bigger version of it. But there are times when I think it is absolutely necessary and there is nothing wrong with that. I bring this one up because a lot of times you can feel guilt and shame about wanting to cut ties with people that you've been close to or that you have always known who've always been a part of your life just because people have always been there or just because you've always lived in this one place that doesn't mean it's good for you it doesn't mean that those relationship dynamics are good for you and there is nothing wrong with removing yourself from that situation in order to be safe enough to heal you are allowed to do that if staying where you are and staying in, in contact with these people that have harmed you if doing that keeps you stuck indefinitely and unable to heal and unable to move on you absolutely are justified in doing 
what you need to do in order to get away from that. All right. So the last piece we're going to talk about today is developing skills. As we've talked about, part of that victim mentality is that belief that we cannot meet our own needs and that reliance on others to meet those needs for us. And unfortunately, sometimes part of being a victim means we literally can not meet those needs because we are lacking in the skills necessary to meet them. And so if you're wanting to reduce that feeling of victimhood, if you're wanting to move further beyond that victim mentality, learning skills is an absolute necessity. And this may mean just life function skills, such as how do I budget money? How do I cook a dinner? How do I write a grocery shopping list? This could also mean things like problem solving skills or time management skills or emotional regulation skills. There are so many things we need to be able to do to function as adults and to get our needs met. And that does mean learning skills. Now, like we said, that may mean you have to put in a lot of effort, especially when you're trying to deprogram, and it may take longer, but it's okay. It's okay to learn to ride a bike when you're 25 or 35 or 45. It's okay if the first time you have ever gone grocery shopping by yourself is when you're 40. It's never too late to learn these kinds of skills, whatever they may be. One more note on this particular point about developing skills, and this is one that I have struggled with, is learning emotional expression a lot of times with the victim mentality, you're desiring other people to fulfill your needs for you, but there's also a lot of passive aggression with it. There's also a lot of expectation of mind reading. There's a lot of difficulty expressing what your needs actually are. Being able to have those conversations without feeling threatened, without feeling in danger. This is such an important one to learn for the sake of any type of relationship that you have that you actually care about. And it's, it's one that I struggle with even now. In fact, in my most recent session with my therapist, we were talking about this very thing and how much I struggle with emotional expression and how much I hate doing it. I hate it. I don't like having difficult conversations. I'll do it, but I don't like it. I don't like crying. I don't like being really exuberant. I, I don't like being emotionally expressive. It feels draining. It feels exhausting. It feels scary. It feels intimidating. And I don't enjoy it. And I don't understand why anybody would. You know, she and I were kind of laughing about it, but it's it's true. This is one of the holdovers for me with that victim mentality and one of the holdovers from my trauma. I dealt with a lot of my trauma by shutting down and not dealing with my emotions and not expressing them. This is one that probably a lot of you can relate to. I can't even begin to count how many times I have been in a horrible mood. I've been having tears streaming down my face and somebody asks me what's wrong and I respond, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm fine. As tears stream down my face, <laughs> obviously I'm not fucking fine in those situations but it's like pulling teeth to get me to tell you that one, I'm not fine and why I'm not and what I need in order to feel better. I am working so hard on this in my current relationship because this has been one of the things that has destroyed a lot of my past relationships is me not feeling safe to open my fucking mouth and say what's bothering me and say what I need 
because I am fearful that they'll reject me. I'll fearful, I'm fearful that I won't have my needs met. I'm fearful that even expressing my needs will make them not love me. There are so many things that get jumbled up in that. There are so many reasons why you may not want to emotionally express yourself or to express what it is that you need, but it's so important to learn how to do that because without that, you are almost guaranteeing that you will sabotage every relationship that you ever have. And I'm not just talking about romantic ones. I'm talking about in general, you have to, to be able to learn how to open your mouth and tell them what's going on and really verbalize things in a healthy way. And yes, sometimes you may not get what you want, but you can still have that conversation. You can still get validation. You can still express those needs. You can find compromises, but none of that happens if you don't learn how to express you, your emotions and express your needs in a healthy and productive way. And I would say even coming from the other end of that, because I learned pretty quickly how to emotionally express, not safely or healthily emotionally express, but definitely emotionally express because I couldn't shut down my emotions. I just had extreme excessive emotions that I was not allowed to express for a decade. And so when I was finally removed from that situation and I could, I express them way too much and way, way too big. And so it took me quite a while to learn how to draw that back and to be able to express myself emotionally in a way that would not harm essentially other people or harm myself. No matter what end of the spectrum you're coming at it from, that learning that emotional expression, and I would also say with that emotional regulation, it is a definitely a vital piece of overcoming that victim mentality. And I think that also speaks to that fact that we're all on very separate journeys and we're all very different people. But even when we are different people and we have separate issues, these pieces that we talked about today are very helpful. It's just a matter of finding how they're going to be helpful in your life. And so we're going to wrap up for today. And on that final note, we just want to reiterate one more time, there's no shame in being a victim. If you've been through trauma at some point, you've been victimized and that is going to leave you with victim mentality. And that's not good. It's not bad. It just is. But if you want to start growing beyond that, if you want to see a life beyond that, you can take steps to further your healing journey, to move towards survival, to move then towards thriving even past that so that you don't have to be stuck there forever. All right. So Ivy, if you would please throw them all our connecty bits so that they can know where to find all these excellent resources. And if they feel brave enough to uh, let us know what their victimhood test scores were. Sure, I could do that. Uh, you can find us at our website, www.differentfunctional.com. You can find us on Facebook as Different Functional. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok as Different underscore Functional. You could email us those test results if you felt so inclined. We promise that we won't mock you or make fun of you or anything like that. We won't even compare our scores to yours. We're all on our own journey. But if you want to send those to us, you can send them to us at differentfunctional at gmail.com, or you can go to our website and use the contact form there. Either way, that information will get to us. And if you'd like to be a patron, you could join us on Patreon, where on there is Different Functional. I think that's all the ways to get in touch with us. Or, or one more way, you could drop us a comment 
do it on our social media or on your podcasting platform if it gives you the option to do that. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Let us know if you're enjoying the podcast. Let us know if you hate the podcast. I don't know. Just let us know something. Any information is good information. Yes, we would love to hear from you. So use one of those resources and reach out to us. For today, though, we will go ahead and wrap up. And as always, remember that different does not mean defective. Thank you for listening. My